0: Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, Executive Editor at Glossy. And today's guest is Lauren Bostic, the blogger, podcast host, and founder of The Skinny Confidential. Welcome, Lauren.
1: Thank you for having me, Priya.
0: Lauren, your road to where you are today is so fascinating to me. You know, uh, when we first met, when you said that, you know, podcast hosts were where bloggers were back in 2010, it just rang so many alarms. You know, it just was like, oh, yes, this is exactly what I've been thinking. So um, take us back a little bit. When you were starting your blog in 2011, what were you writing about? What were you thinking about that this could be?
1: Yeah, I was attending San Diego State University. I was teaching pure bar. I was bartending at night, and I was not making ends meet, very broke, living out of my godparents' house. But I was doing all the things that society tells you to do, checking the boxes. And I remember at San Diego State, I joined a sorority. And in the sorority, they told me it was $800. And I was like, what do you mean? It's $800 to have friends and community? I couldn't believe it. I was already broke. I couldn't afford $800. So I left the sorority after two seconds. This isn't going to work for me. And how can I do this online? How can I do it better? And how can I do it for free? And so the ideas started coming to me. I, I started looking around at all the women that there were on campus. I wanted to create something cheeky, something where you could get the juice, get the confidential information, and get the skinny. And so the name is all about getting the skinny. The site is very pink. And I really launched it as a brand. I knew that I was building something that I would one day want to launch product with, and I was very slow and patient. And this was at a time when... No one was blogging. So it was and they they were they were blogging. There was fashion bloggers and stuff, but they weren't sharing um, more than their nail polish color and what they were wearing. And so I was like, okay, I want to talk about more niche things. I want to talk about other women. I want to talk about other celebrities. I want to bring other women up. I want to make this a community. I want to make this a resource. So I started building the brand. It took a year to launch. I was very, very, very psycho about every single detail, texture, how I wanted the audience member to leave, like what the valuable takeaways were. We launched with, you know, 20 posts. Like I bought a high, a high-end camera like the whole thing and I remember launching and I was working at this high-end bar that um, a lot of very wealthy smart men went to white men I should say too so um, I was serving them, and I sort of was like this fly on the wall. It's almost like I wasn't there. And I was really able to see men in their natural habitat. And I remember one night this older man, and I tell this story a lot, but, it, but it, it, it's relevant. It's, he was drinking this rusty nail, and he said to me, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, uh, I'm launching a blog. It's called The Skinny Confidential. I told him all about it. He said, hold on. And he laughed and he said, you're not going to be able to monetize that. And I just, that was a moment for me. And what I've realized from that moment is that when people don't get what you're doing, keep going. That means there's white space in the area you're looking. He turned out to be the CEO of Airbag. If I had listened to him because he was so successful and wealthy I don't know what I would be doing right now. It's just—it's very important to stay on your own trajectory, and and know yourself. There's no one that knows yourself better than you. And so here we are—you know, twelve years later—we have a podcast, a book, a product line, and I'm just continuing to build the brand. It's extremely community driven. That's the most important thing to me. Um, and the blog is still up as well.
0: Lauren, go back a little bit because you know. It's interesting that you say that there were fashion bloggers at the time. And some of those fashion bloggers are still around today, whether it's like Brian Boy or Tina Craig, Bag Snob back then, you know, and now they're all kind of, you know, dipping their toe into other platforms and dipping their toe into products as well. And I'm just wondering, like, you know, it may have been more obvious to kind of do a fashion blog, but it seems like you really wanted to find some nuance and like talk about things that people weren't talking about.
1: I was craving depth. And and if I'm being really honest, that's what it was. I was I wanted more depth, and I wanted more taboo topics to be addressed. So out of the gates, I was talking about um, my boob job, and and you can say, oh, that's not depth, that's vapid, that's beauty. But it was sharing these behind the scenes things that people weren't talking about. And then I would talk about death. I would talk about grief. I would talk about suicide, birth control. Um, and then I would also talk about how I was modifying my taco at Rubio's. So it was a medley. It's like a a checks mixed bag of a bunch of different things. And I think what, why I didn't want to be a fashion blogger is one fashion is it's not, it's not on my list of really what's important and not that there's anything wrong with that. Like I'm jealous of people who are so fashion forward. I wasn't really that. And I'm very self-aware when it comes to what I know and what I don't know. Um, but also I wanted to know more than just the dress or the nail polish color. I wanted to know what was in their vanity, what their family was like, what just and then I also wanted to read about other people too. I always say like I can only tell you so much about myself. There needs to be more people involved, which is why the podcast has been such an incredible outlet for me and I think that you would agree with this as well. It's like learning about other people and getting interested outside yourself. Um, And that's the place that I came from when I started a blog is what else is out there and how can I really make this a full 360 resource.
0: How long did you do the blog before you launched the podcast?
1: I did the blog, and I should just say this for three years without making one dime. I did it for seven days a week. Finally, after three years, I started monetizing it The blog was going great, but I noticed, again, that the audience wanted a more intimate conversation. They were sick of an Instagram picture or, you know, a video. They wanted more. And so podcast came up when I was drunk in Cabo with my husband. He's like, let's launch a podcast. This is five years ago. Um, So I think that this was like probably seven years into blogging. Um, And we launched it and it was just so incredible because we could bring all these other people on and hear all these other voices and opinions without any judgment while also being so intimate in the audience's ear while also including them. But most importantly, saving them time. And we talked about this on the interview on on Glossy website. Like, what is a podcast doing? It's saving the audience time while they're learning something valuable. There's truly no other medium or platform out there that can do that. Every other platform is consuming their time. For instance, Instagram, you're scrolling. Instagram story, you're watching. Podcast, I can be cooking in the kitchen and learning about the latest fashion trend or whatever it is. You're educating, you're learning, you're inspired, whatever it is. Um, And I felt really good about that.
0: You said a second ago that you started monetizing the blog and then you kind of moved into podcasts. You know, I think some people are still having a hard time monetizing podcasts and blogs. How were you first able to kind of do that? Do you remember what that first deal looked like or how you kind of maybe parlayed that to podcasting, which is still kind of – some people are still figuring it out.
1: With the blog, I went in with the intention of only working with brands that I used and loved or – Something that I used for months. I was like so specific about that, Um, and I always say this with bloggers: so many bloggers are afraid to post stuff they're not getting paid for. I I think posting six million things you're obsessed with, and then one of them hits with a partnership, and it's natural and organic. I post everything I like, whether it's a tongue scraper from Amazon or a shirt that I found at like. At Goodwill, whatever whatever it is, I post it. I'm not I'm not coming from the space of I'm only going to post if I make money. So if you're blogging and you're starting out, I would tell you don't even think about money for at least two years. Don't even think about it. Um, and I know that's harsh, and people don't want to hear that, but that that's been my experience. And then I would also tell you to promote the brands you love, and those some of those, not all of them, will turn into an organic partnership. With the podcast, what was so great about having the blog was that I already had this foundation of brands that I was working with, that I loved, that I used, and we were able to parlay that into the podcast. I think podcasting now, if you're wanting to monetize, I, one, would go into podcasting again, not looking to monetize. When I first launched the podcast, um, I could have easily you know, gotten all different kinds of brands on the podcast. I, I just took a minute. And I provided valuable content to the audience. And with that, the right brands came. Um, I also think that it needs to be a win-win-win. So often we're told it needs to be a win-win for the brand and the creator. It needs to be a win-win-win for the brand, the creator, and the audience. Very important. It's not just about ROI for the brand. Is the audience using it? Is it collecting dust in in their drawer? I mean, for me, like, I, I want people... To I want my community to go out and tell all their friends about this amazing product that they found from the Skinny Confidential. Um, And I want them to love it, and I want them to be the influencers. So if you're selling shit just to sell it, it's a really short-term strategy. Tell
0: me about what you think of the word influencer today.
1: It's a hard word because it can mean so many things. It kind of reminds me of the word, you know, celebrity when that that word kind of came out. What is a celebrity? Is a celebrity Brad Pitt or is it um, a comedian or is it like a D-list celebrity from reality television? Like influencer is so broad to me. It's not very specific and I like more of a specific word. I also feel like the word influencer, like it feels like I'm... Not me, but maybe influencers are coaxing you to do things and buy things. I like to think of all of my community as leaders and and their own compass. Like, they don't need me. They're just maybe getting inspired to go do something. I always say with from the beginning, I wanted them to read the blog and then take things from the blog and apply it to their own life in their own way. It doesn't need to be the way I do it, or it doesn't need to be—you don't need to get the boob job because I have it. It's just sharing my journey, and if there's pieces that work for your life, great. Influencer, I feel like it's kind of getting this sort of negative rep, and— um. I think that it's going to be important to be able to differentiate yourself within the word influencer. So are you a podcaster? Are you a blogger? Are you an author? Um, I think those words are really important so the audience can know right away what you are, which to me is like it's it's brand. And brand is the most important, right?
0: Tell me about the guests specifically, because, you know, I think it's funny right now we're seeing so many celebrities launch podcasts or start blogs or, you know, content media organizations. And I'm wondering, like, that's more about them and maybe more about vanity than actually the audience themselves. And you said to me last time that, you know, you are thinking about the audience before you think about the guests. So how do you kind of marry that when you're seeing, like, you know, everybody being on the circuit and, you know, this person. On this show and that show and that show, or you know, they're they're just shilling something.
1: I think it all comes back to intention. I cannot tell you how many people have emailed me and said, "How do I make money blogging?" It's the wrong question, in my opinion. Podcasting is the same thing. People hopping on the train because they think they're going to make a quick buck is not the right intention. What is your intention? I've followed your podcast for a long time. To me, when I'm a listener of your podcast, your intention is to showcase all different kinds of people and show their brain. Like, I feel like you put the audience first. I think there's a lot of podcasters out there that just want to hear themselves talk, which maybe works for a a couple of episodes, but that gets boring. Or they put themselves first and not the audience Um, or they just don't go deep enough. I don't want to listen to an interview where the guest isn't really showing us the behind the scenes. I don't also want to listen to an interview where someone is just pushing their latest project. I want to know really, like, again, the depth. So I applied the same strategy to my podcast that I applied to my blog, which is Let's get detailed. Let's get let's get really granular. let's I want to hear about your childhood. I want to hear about how you are here. I don't want to hear about all the stuff, the the great stuff. I also want to hear about the shitty stuff. I want to hear about the struggle. And I think every podcast is different. You have to refine your brand and your intention before you go into this. And if it's just to make money, I don't think this is the right space.
0: When you told me that you were launching a brand, you know, I thought it was very interesting because obviously there's so many beauty brands out there and influencers, bloggers, podcast hosts, whoever are launching them and people totally not in the industry. But at the same time, I was surprised that it wasn't like a traditional beauty product, you know, a face roller, a facial oil, you know, you mentioned to me, it was like this confluence of beauty meets wellness. What does that mean to you?
1: So for me it had to be something that made sense to the story. I didn't want to white label it at all. It had to be something I created out of my head. I wanted to make sure I involved the audience and I wanted it to make sense to what I'm doing. People are like, "Why don't you launch makeup?" I don't do my own makeup. I don't I don't enjoy doing my own makeup. I'm not just going to launch something to launch it. With this I had horrific, horrible jaw surgery where I had a 16-hour surgery and was swollen my entire face for what I thought would be a month, and it ended up being three years. So I became a practitioner of swelling. I tried every single thing you can possibly think of from jumping on a trampoline to sleeping upright to every single swelling situation that you could get on the market, and nothing worked besides facial manipulation with ice. And so I remember going on as a blogger and someone who's supposed to be a resource and looking for something I could share with my community to fight inflammation. And this is years and years ago. I searched jaw ice um, like surgery and up comes an ice roller. So I buy it and it comes. It's so shitty. It's it's packaged bad. It's gross, but it worked. The only thing that didn't work is it didn't hold cold. And I was so swollen that I needed something that held cold. I needed something sturdy, but I also wanted something cute. And so again, I just started noticing that I wasn't the only one that was puffy. We're waking up with a hungover face. Our eyes are puffy. If we sleep wrong, we're puffy. No one is talking about facial bloat. They're talking about hyperpigmentation and wrinkles and you know, masking and all these different things, but no one's addressing the first problem that should be addressed, which is the contour of the face. I will see makeup artists put skincare like moisturizer on and then start their makeup. And I'm like, I could never do that. I have to give my face some kind of facial manipulation before I even put product on it. So, for me it was like all these beauty people were, were walking through the door and the side door and I wanted to come down the fucking chimney. I wanted to come down with a different a different perspective and something that I felt no one was focusing on. So, the the tagline is here to micromanage facial bloat. And that's what it's about, getting the contour, lifting the face. <laughs>
0: Would you say that, you know, this is something that your audience specifically wanted? Like, you know, because it seems like this is almost something that most makeup artists, most beauty insiders are not thinking of. So what did your audience think about it?
1: Well, first, I think people aren't thinking about it because people weren't as like the swelling experience I had was so gnarly. And then I started to notice how I was swollen even when the surgery like had been over for years. So I think that's why I became obsessed with swelling. With the audience, when you're launching product, I think it's incredibly important to listen to them via DM, talk with them through email, through Facebook group, whatever it is, and to hear everything they want or the, or stuff that they don't know they want But I also think there's a fine line of being able to be on the pulse of something before it happens. And if you can marry the two, that's the sweet spot. You want to be able to be on the pulse ahead of it, avant-garde, but also listening to the audience at the same time. And so that's what I really tried to do. I tried to marry those two things. I knew it was something that people were struggling with. Maybe they didn't even know they were struggling with it. And after they would use this tool and they would use this ice queen oil, it would tighten the skin and they would feel better. But I also listen to them, if that makes sense.
0: What was the reaction like when you launched the actual product itself? Because, you know, you did it on your own D2C site. You didn't go through a middleman. You know, there are other ice rollers on the market. But, you know, it really seems to check all the boxes for your woman, for your girl.
1: Totally. the The reaction was incredible. My audience has created more content than I could ever ask any influencer to create. That was another thing. I didn't send influencer box PR packages out at first. I haven't sent them out yet. Like, I wanted the audience to get their hands on it first. There's nothing worse as as a community member when you're watching all these bloggers and celebrities open mail and you can't get it. That's that's how I think it felt for me when all these fashion bloggers were launching. It was like they were all at Fashion Week and doing all these things that 99.9% of people weren't able to do. And so what I tried to do when I came in the space was, was be like, this, this is the path that anyone can do. I was a broke bartender, right? Anyone can do it. If they put their mind to it, anyone can create their own future. And, and, and the same goes with, with product. It's like, I wanted them first to be able to get their hands on it. Not the other bloggers, not the celebrities. This was them. So I launched straight to the community. Um, we did three times what we thought we were going to do. We, we, Totally went over our projections. The audience went crazy, and the content, like I said, they created the Instagram stories. The Instagrams has truly been amazing, and I think when as an as a blogger, an influencer, as a podcaster, when you start thinking of your audience as the influencer and not yourself, things change. It'll change the game because they are the influencer. I can tell you, there's there's micro influencers out there that have a hundred to a thousand followers that I think will sell more than someone who has a million followers. And that's the conversations that need to be had right now. Just because someone has that many followers doesn't mean the ROI is as good as someone who's more micro. Community is the most important thing.
0: Tell me about that word because, you know, I'm always kind of skeptical when I hear brands use it. I know yours is different because you started like with the blog and then a podcast before a brand, but you know, what does that mean? You know, to some people it means affiliate links. Some people it means UGC content. Some people it means pay for play. So when you think about community, like, what does it mean to the skinny confidential person? And, and what does it mean to be part of your world?
1: Yeah, I think for me it was about connecting all of them. Um you know, I did a Facebook group where I I opened it up and connected everyone in this Facebook group. It grew to sixty thousand women. There were skinny confidential meetups all over the world. Nothing to do with Lauren Everett's. It's this brand is that's why I didn't name it like Lauren Lauren Everett's Bostick.com. It's 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 not not it's not to do with me. in fact, when they went out, I bet you they didn't even talk about me. It was about them connecting with each other and meeting up. I did have to shut the Facebook group down because of where we are in the world right now. It just got to Heavy. And you mentioned it earlier, my brand is about beauty and wellness. And I mentioned this earlier, I'm very self-aware to stay in my own lane. My site, we're not talking about, you know, politics or religion. It's, It's very much beauty and wellness and entrepreneurial focused. Um, And so what we did with that is I tried to sort of move people to Instagram. And so through that, that means responding to DMs every single day. I send voice notes to my audience at least 30 times a day. That means connecting them. A girl just came to me the other day. She said, I'm looking for a lymphatic drainage specialist. I knew a girl that had been an audience member that was one I connected them. That means having them on the blog. All the time, I will invite my audience members to come on the blog. That means mentoring women. I take on three women a year and mentor them to start their own podcast or blog. Uh, It just means connecting people and also not taking the word you out of the equation. Like, I'm so happy if I hear, I heard the other day, a Skinny Confidential Reader met someone through Instagram that was a Skinny Confidential Reader and now they're roommates. That kind of stuff just like gets me off.
0: Tell me about the brand specifically because, you know, I I can say this, I think, Um, you know, I I didn't cover beauty before just about like four years ago. I was in the fashion world. I was covering luxury and lifestyle. And the beauty world is really kind of hard to break into, I think, and people don't necessarily take you seriously unless you maybe have the credentials. So I'm wondering what the reaction has been for you. Like, is that part of the reason why maybe you did want to do DTC, that you wanted to own it all versus partnering with like a retailer or another influencer or any of that is just like... You know, it is kind of a clicky environment.
1: I think that it goes back to when that that airbag guy said that to me. i I truly understand that it's clicky, but I want to disrupt it. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. I am not an expert. I do not claim to be an expert. I am a practitioner of beauty. I am someone who's tried every product. I've been able to talk to some incredible people. My book that I put together has 120 influencers, celebrities that I got to interview. But I am not the expert and I'm not pretending to be. I think that I want to show women that you can be a bartender and be broke and you can go disrupt a space that's clicky. And it lends so perfect to what we talked about before with fashion blogging. Before the fashion community was was so clicky, I think things are changing a little bit. Maybe that's attributed to COVID. I don't know. But I think that if, if you continue to play by the rules of what that space thinks, it's boring and nothing will change. And so I told you this on my interview, like I want to come in as the Howard Stern of beauty. I want to shake it up. I think this industry is incredibly conservative, um, and I think there's space for, for silly fun. Like, it doesn't have to be so serious. And someone who's done an incredible job of that is Patrick Starr. The way he's come into the beauty space is amazing. And I think also the, the whole credentials thing, I think that is going to start to change too. I think there's going to be a lot of conversations about college and, and you know, what society, again, thinks that you should be doing. Um that are going to that are going to start to transpire. I think things are 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 changing and taking a turn and I mean for me like I said I I am by nature a disruptor and so I think this is the perfect space to do it in.
0: You said last time we talked that you know you always knew that this brand was going to have products. Did you ever have an inkling that it might be something else? Or was it always going to be beauty and wellness? And then I guess my second question is, I know you have a really robust product pipeline coming up. You have about 20 products coming out. So what else are you going to see in this space?
1: Yeah. I always knew that there would be a product, but I didn't know what the product was until the audience guided me there. Like I had to see, uh, like when I kept talking about my swelling and hundreds of women would DM me and then thousands of women would email me tips for swelling. I was like, there is something here. There is, this is a category that has not been explored enough. I felt like all the facial rollers were either, you know, plastic and cheap, like the $10 ice roller I found, or they were like very holistic, very, um, very grassroots, you know, it was, it felt very like spa-like. So I wanted to come with like a more flamboyant approach. Um. Do
0: you think that women are more empowered to use these devices and and products like in their own home now just because of COVID? Like it almost seems like this is the product for the right time because maybe you're not going out and getting Botox or filler or your hair done or whatever, but you can do this as whether it's part of self-care or just to look good on, on a Zoom call.
1: Yeah, I think this is a great time to launch the brand for what it is, but I've been working on this for four years, so it certainly wasn't planned that we would be in our home. I think it's also a tool, though, that's, like, so accessible. It's so—I use it every single time I get my makeup done. I use it every single time before I do my makeup. I use it in the morning. I use it in the car. I use it at night. Like, it's it's such an easy thing to implement. It's not overwhelming, and it goes with any product that you have. That that was another thing. I noticed that a lot of brands try to capture the whole market. Like they'll do a cleanser and a toner and a this and a that. Like I am totally proud to have my ice roller amongst all of these brands. No one is using, I don't think anymore, one line of everything. Like we're all experimenting with different things. So it felt like it fit nicely into the beauty category, uh, with what you were saying about upcoming prod uh, products, products are coming up. They're products that I've been working on again, probably for the last two years. Uh, I am so hands-on with every single detail from the tone, the color, the font, the box, the packaging, the postcard, the photo shoot, the marketing. I am like a psychomaniac about making sure the details are right. I don't want to slap my label on something just, you know, to make a quick buck. I I want the audience to love it and then go out and and, and talk to their friends about it because like I said, they are the influencer.
0: What do you think that, she's missing in her life right now? You know, I mean, obviously community, which is something that you feel like you've filled and you are filling with these products. But I'm just wondering, like, you know, it seems like you've really been a step ahead of where people were going and where they were finding their sources of information. So what do you think she still is missing?
1: Uh, Product-wise?
0: Anything. Product or information?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I think that what is missing, and this is maybe not the answer that you want, is taking the tools that you're learning and applying it to your own life. One thing about our podcast is like the whole theme is you can create your own future. And I always say this on our podcast, you can listen to as many self-help books and podcasts and whatever, but if you're not listening to your intuition and you're not actually executing then you're just going to be a student, right? Like a forever student. So what I would say that anyone's missing is that taking all the tools that they're seeing online or reading about or hearing via Audible and actually executing on it. I think that's the secret sauce. And so if I can continue to really put that message out there that women can design and create and cultivate the future that they want, I will be so happy. That's like for me with the podcast and the blog, I hope that that's an example. And again, coming into the beauty space when I'm not an expert or I'm not a doctor, like pressing the boundaries and constantly asking why and questioning the status quo, that's what I think is missing a little bit. But I think we're going to see a turn.
0: I liked what you said a second ago that you're a practitioner of beauty because right now I feel like there's like, I hear a lot from investors or analysts that, like, we're going to go back to the expert. We're going to go back to the doctor or the esthetician or the makeup artist or the hairstylist. And that's all well and good. And that's that might be true or not. But, like, then where does the power for the end consumer – what is the power the end consumer has? Like, if she just wants to do her makeup or, or her hair. And I'm wondering, like, you know, nobody's really talking about that. Like, how do you talk about that with, with your community? Just being, like, you like beauty. You you have nice hair. Like, you can do this, like are encouraging them to, to take chances when it seems like a lot of other brands and companies are kind of telling them the opposite. Like you Again, need
1: me. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes total sense. Again, when everyone's doing something, I, I've i always been one to swing the other way. And I cannot tell you how many white men in suits and investors told me no. They called it, uh, some someone said, I don't get a roller. What does a roller do? And I I said this in an Instagram caption. He could have used some lymphatic drainage. Like, (laughs) so what I did is instead of going to these men in suits, I went to really incredible strategic women. So on board with my line, I have some incredible investors. I have Ali Webb from Drybar. I have Sarah Gibson Tunnel from Olive and June, Raina Penchensky from DBA. I have Sarah from the Birds of Papaya, Christine Andrews from Hello Fashion, Um, Emma Greedy's coming on as an advisor from Good American and Skims. Um, and there's there's definitely more. I can't think of them all off the top of my head. I could send you the list if you wanna if you wanna put it in. But um I have a really incredible team of women who get it and they all use the product and they understand what the vision is. And I think that you can't let the investor I would not let a white man a white man in suits that's that's an investor, tell you where the trajectory of beauty is going. Everyone has the power to, like I said earlier, create your own future and whatever that looks like, it doesn't have to fit in the box of what someone told you it should be. Um, so I would just say again, like I would tell my audience, question everything, listen to your intuition, execute, be disciplined, and don't let anyone tell you, no, if you're, like I said earlier, you're the only one that knows you the best. So really hone in on that.
0: What would you say that experience was like? You know, when you were looking for capital, when you were trying to raise money, obviously you had so many different connections and, and the pe- the women that you're naming are incredible. But for the lay founder who's starting up on their own, may not have capital to themselves, like how do they go about this? Like what would you say they should do?
1: If you don't have capital... I would tell you to content market first. And what that means is building a platform on social media. Now, if you don't like to be on video, do a podcast. If you don't like to speak, do an Instagram. Microblog through Instagram. Again, understand what works for you, whatever that is. And I would pick one of those things, and I would go crazy. And let me explain what I mean. So I I would say, like, get a handle that's at that Walmart girl, okay? And all you do on Instagram is showcase Walmart finds. And you microblog on each caption about why this incredible heart pan from Walmart needs to be in your kitchen. And then maybe you start affiliate linking it in your stories for a swipe up, but you're just really concentrating on showing the audience all about the secret finds at Walmart. And then before you know it, you start collaborating with Walmart. They're on to you. They become obsessed with you. You start working with them, doing collaborations. And then 10 years later, you're in Walmart. So have a strategy like that. And when it comes to raising money, what I said before is like get the platform, dial the platform out, speak to an audience, engage the audience, provide value And then from there, I would start to think about building a product, getting an investor, da 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 I think a lot of people just try to get the investor right away because they think raising money deserves a gold medal. And I would say that raising money is an incredibly huge responsibility. My husband just did a big raise for Dear Media, his podcast company. And I can tell you, it it is—it's—it's— you know, stressful. It's not like a celebration where you're drinking champagne every day. You you have to really, really make sure you're you're checking all the boxes. So I don't necessarily look at it as an investor as like a gold star. I think that what I would say is start out, build your platform, gain the audience, gain the community, and then think about how you're going to start a line, whether that's with an investor or just out of your garage.
0: I have so many questions on this, Lauren. You know, first of all, I guess my question for you is that, you know, you had done skincare collaborations, you know, with Elemis or It Cosmetics. Why didn't you do skincare?
1: This product line has a lot of skincare in it. It's definitely skin and beauty based, but I just didn't want to go the traditional route of launching you know, a bomb and um, a toner. It was just it's it's doesn't lend itself to my brand. My brand is very um, loud. Like I said, flamboyant. It's cheeky. And like to launch with something that felt too expected wasn't the move for me, which is why it took four years. You know, four years ago, I could have slapped the skinny confidential on a cleanser and, you know, I would have been done in six months. Um, but I wanted to create something unique that was not white labeled out of my head that was beautifully designed that people wanted on their vanity. And I also could have probably teamed up with with the brands that you just mentioned and, and did a full skincare line with them. Um, but I just I, – I was really thoughtful and purposeful with, with how I did it. And listen, I'm not saying how I did it is perfect. I'm sure there, there's a, a billion ways to skin a cat. Um, I'm just doing what works for the community and for my brand.
0: Well, I guess my question is, you know, skincare is super crowded right now. Makeup brands are trying to get into skincare. Skincare brands are just adding more and more SKUs. Like, and rea- in reality, like, it's their best seller that's always going to be number one. So it just seems like, you know, with the roller and whatever other devices you may launch, it seems like, you know, you're adding an extra set of values or an extra, like, point of differentiation than just your classic skincare line is that right
1: i love that word i love <laughs> that word um, absolutely but also i also think and i say this often that not one space is saturated i hate that word i think it's a word that that people give themselves as an excuse not to execute let me give you an example So many people have asked me, how do I stand out on um, Instagram if it's so saturated? Or how do I launch a podcast if it's so saturated? And it's exactly what you said. You come from a unique perspective while providing value to the audience. And it's the same with product. What is your unique perspective? And how are you adding value to their life? With the skincare industry, yes, it's saturated, but there's billions and billions of people in the world. It's not like I'm opening a gas station next to your gas station on La Cienega, right? Like we're dealing with the world. So for me... I I don't think I've ever thought that it is saturated. If you mention that, I do think, yes, it's hard to stand out. But I think it's what you said. You have to have that point of differentiation. What is that? And, And that's really important to define. I think a great book for everyone that will really help is called A Brand Story. I believe it's by Donald Miller. And it's just really about honing in on what your brand is. And you can do it if you're a podcaster. Even if you're a waitress at at, at a restaurant, you can do it. What is your brand as a waitress? You can brand anything. Um, And I think you look at someone like an Andy Warhol or a Marilyn Monroe. They were brands just by the way they dressed. It's just really important to have a unique perspective. You can stand out. You can break into any industry. Um, And I never want to be someone who gets on a mic and says, oh, don't go into this industry. It's too saturated. I always want to encourage people to dig deep and find out what makes them unique. And that could be, you know, harvesting sea monkeys. Whatever that is, there's a community out there. We're dealing with the world.
0: Lauren, you mentioned platforms a second ago. And, you know, right now we're I feel like we're in platform saturation. You know, whether it's Clubhouse or TikTok or the live streaming platforms, you know, what are your what's your take on those? Like, do you think that they're gonna have legs? Like what where do you think people are really gonna be spending their time?
1: Yeah, I think again, like I said, we're dealing with the world. I think a lot of these platforms are totally gonna have legs, but I think where The influencer or podcaster or creator gets confused is when they try to do all of them. That's where you're going to fuck up. I would say pick, I think of it like an upside down triangle, right? Start with picking the point of what that is. So for me, it was a blog. And it, when I launched, I was a health and fitness blog. I talked a lot about health and fitness, mental health, all those kinds of things. I slowly built out and slowly introduced the characters in my life. I always say it's like I, I didn't want to have a one-night stand where we had sex. I wanted to really make out. Then I wanted to feel you up. You know, then, I, like, I wanted to go really slow. And I think that that's how you should approach platform. So... You know, if you are really good at podcasting, I would tell you to put out two podcasts a week. If you're more of an Instagrammer, I would tell you to microblog through Instagram. Don't try to do every single platform. You can do anything, but you can't do everything. And there will be a time when when you add more people to a team that you can maybe do more. But I don't try to be great at everything. I really am, again, self-aware about what's moving the needle where my communities at and 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 picking the platform that works best for me
0: do you feel pressure now that you're so big and that you are so known to be on all of these different platforms i mean some of them i think like it's basically the same thing as youtube you know like some of them are so you're putting out the same content like not you i mean the the world is putting out the same content on all these different platforms, it doesn't really feel differentiated. But you know, when someone has an audience like yours, do, do you feel the pressure to kind of be everywhere they are? Because it's I, that's what I hear a lot is the, the phrase, meet your customer where they are, meet them wherever she or he are spending time. And I'm just wondering if that actually kind of works.
1: Pressure? Yes, I feel pressure. I mean, I think anyone that is a creator on any platform is going to tell you they feel pressure. The problem is, is you can always be doing more. Right. It's like not one of those things that you can just like shut your laptop and and you're like, oh, there's nothing else to do. You can always be creating more content. So that pressure is difficult. I've learned how to deal with it a lot better. I have very, very strict, specific boundaries um, that that um, I'm kind of a psycho about whether it's getting off Instagram story completely for two days or not checking my email for five days whatever it is I I have boundaries so I think that's important but I think there's again this fine line of making sure you're evolving so like if TikTok is going to be the next Instagram are you evolving but also knowing which platform you should be on to start or which knowing which platform you should continue to be on. I think it's it's a very like um fine line. So for me right now, I'm I'm like, okay, I think I need to start exploring TikTok more, but from my own perspective. I'm not gonna be dancing and like singing, lip singing. Like that's not what my audience is gonna want from me. I I'm thinking of creating content on TikTok, but that's geared towards my audience. I'm also not in a rush to hop on every Dick and Harry platform just because, you know, people are telling me it's hot right now. I think, again, getting real with yourself. For me, my, my mothership platform is the podcast. And so that is what I allocate most of my time towards. Um, again, self-aware conversation with yourself of what you like. And that maybe be as simple as writing down the top five platforms that you love and only doing the top three.
0: Lauren, why do you think that there haven't been more podcast hosts that have launched product?
1: I think we haven't gotten there yet. I Like I told you with the article that you wrote, I love the article. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, I told you that, that we are where, and you said this earlier, blogging was in 2000, I would say 11 with podcasts. I think we haven't even began to explore what's going to happen with podcasts. So what's happening is all of the ad dollars from radio is going to podcasting and radio I think was a $2 billion business. So what's there's going to be an influx of money into this space. The advertising right now with podcasting is so underrated. If you're a brand, you should be looking into podcast advertising and aligning yourself with podcasters who have sort of the same values and missions as you. I also think that podcasters haven't had the chance to launch their own brand yet because they haven't been doing it long enough. Like, I could see in two years and maybe a year, whatever it is, you having like a full line. Um, and I could see like the bitch Bible having a full line, right? There's so many podcasters that I look to. Joe Rogan, like I think he's going to launch, you know, protein powder or supplements or whatever it is. I just think that we're, we haven't seen what podcasters are capable yet. It hasn't even nicked the surface.
0: Do you think that it's harder for maybe a beauty audience to get that because they're so used to saying like, oh, beauty's visual; it has to be on YouTube; it has to be before and after. You don't get any of that with like. I mean, I don't know if any of my listeners even know what I look like, you know. So, do you think it's just been harder for like maybe beauty podcasts or or hosts or brands to understand that?
1: Yeah. Again, I think it, I think that's one way to look at it, but I try to look at it from a place of abundance where you can again disrupt the space like why why who says we can't whenever people say they said this or they said that or it's known this I always am trying to question why and with the beauty wellness brand that I just launched I think one of the best spaces for us to talk about it has been on the podcast which is crazy you wouldn't think that but it it has been one of the the best ways to translate um but again, I also didn't train my audience to watch me doing my beauty routine on makeup. That's not, that's, or my beauty routine on skin. That's not where they went to consume my skincare content. They went to my blog or my podcast to listen to Dr. Dennis Gross or Georgia Louise or Barbara Sturm, or for me to just talk about my skincare routine. I mean, there's been multiple times I just talk about it. So I think um, that podcast is a really great outlet to do any kind of brand, as long as you're able to communicate it effectively to the customer.
0: Last question for you, Lauren, and this is kind of more personal, but, you know, you recently moved to LA, to what from LA to one of my favorite places, Austin, where I got married and where I went to college. But I'm wondering, you know, what the creator space in, is like there versus LA. Because, you know, we all have our impressions of LA. We've all been there and kind of know what the celebrity scene is like. But for you, you know, Austin seems to be like, you know, the next big thing for a lot of people. What that's been like?
1: To be dead honest with you, I do. I do no networking. I that's horrible. I wrote a blog post on it and why I don't network. I have always felt like. I've always felt like it's a lily pad. In LA, I would remember I would go to a networking event and people would be like looking over my shoulder to see who was behind me. And I was just like a lily pad. And so it's never been something that I've put a a big emphasis on. And I say the way that I've networked is through my podcast. So the guests that I've been able to have on and talk with have been so valuable. I've met so many friends, so many cool, interesting people that I still keep in touch with. You and I met. Like, you're going to come on our podcast. Like, you you just meet really great, cool people. And it's not about followers for us. It's not about how well-known you are. It's about do you have an interesting story to tell? And are you an effective communicator? And so I think... With Austin, I have I've really taken Austin as a balance to LA. When I'm in LA, I'm on. I'm podcasting. I'm in studio. I'm, you know, doing three podcasts a day. I'm I'm doing all the things that I need to be doing in LA. And then I come to Austin for peace of mind. So there's no there's no like creator dinners here for me. I, I look at this as a time to spend time with my family and my daughter. Um, have really nice dinners, cook. You know, I took her on an hour walk today outside in her stroller, which is in our area in LA. I couldn't have done that that easy. So, I, I just really try to look at L.A. and Austin as like um just it's, it, they're different. It's a balance. And so if I got invited to a bunch of creator events in Austin, I probably, to be honest, wouldn't go. And it's not because I'm not interested in meeting other creators. I just think that I Austin represents something different to me than what L.A. represents.
0: That's so good to hear because I'm so afraid that. When I saw that they were building a Soho house in Austin, I was really afraid. I was like, please, no, please don't do that. (laughs) Lauren, it was so great having you today. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. I can't wait to have you on our podcast. Thank you so much for listening
0: to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Tune in next week for another episode. And of course, that means if you haven't subscribed, please hit that button.